the Old Testament book of Isaiah, reading from chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, was, that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Our second reading, uh, is, uh, which is the sermon passage that's found in the New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20, uh, 24 and 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. 
he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Randy, for reading the Bible for us, and a big warm welcome to everyone at home today, and a big hi to my kids. They've always asked me to say hello to them through the screen, so hi, Jaden, Nessie, and Ellie as well. Uh, today is uh, Good Friday, uh, and we're going to spend it looking at God's Word and thinking about how if God's Word in particular speaks to this time uh, as we're working through and feeling the anxiety and the pressure and the weight of all the coronavirus activity. So let me pray and let me ask God to bless our time. And just before I do that, uh, just to let you know that this sermon in particular uh, for Good Friday might be slightly shorter than usual. Uh, but as we get back into 2 Corinthians from next week, it'll be normal programming as per usual. But let me pray. Father, thank you so much again that you speak to us. And at this particular time, as we open your word, we pray that it will bring great comfort and encouragement in this time. Father, we ask that you'll help us to keep trusting you, and help us to know you and uh, to love you, uh, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 10th of December 2019, a Chinese woman working in a wet market began to feel more tired than usual. Five months later, one and a half million people worldwide have been infected with the coronavirus she first experienced and some 90,000 people have died. And in the past few months in particular, it's been the only thing that we've heard on the radio and the news or what we can hear about or think about. When I listen to the news on the radio, it begins with the coronavirus updates. My social media feeds are still filled with coronavirus updates related material. Almost every other day, our Prime Minister in Australia is coming out and giving and holding a press conference. And you can see that he is haggard, he is tired, he has been spending very long days dealing with this crisis. So please pray for our Prime Minister, pray for our leaders, pray for our doctors and nurses and healthcare workers and everyone on the front line to be sustained through this time. And with all this information, with the headlines looming even more scarier than the day before, fear and panic have fallen on all of us. There was the panic buying. The pasta aisle sold out. Rice soon followed. Fresh meat was selling out in stores and so were chest freezers. Strangely enough, toilet paper disappeared, along with antibacterial wipes and hand sanitizers. Now, another obvious effect of the spread of the virus globally has also been this call for social distancing. Because the virus is so infectious and easily transmissible, and because many people have it who are unaware that they have it and can pass it on to others, the best and most practical solution has been just to avoid each other. Stay home has been the mantra. Otherwise, stay apart. Social distancing, as we now call it, the supermarkets have now got people counting who comes in and out of the stores, and they have a set number at one time, and everywhere on the floors of the supermarkets, you can see X's marked out with tape telling you how far apart you must stand. 
And yet this has all resulted in relational pain. Unable to interact with each other in the ways we normally would. Families and friends at a distance from each other. And for many of us here in church, feeling that loss of fellowship and being able to see each other face to face. And so what are we and our world currently experiencing? An invisible virus, which many people don't often know they have, the effects of which are deadly serious, motivating us to try and keep ourselves clean and forcing us to be at a distance from each other. Now my question is, what does this have to do with Good Friday, other than the fact that this is how we are celebrating it this year? And the answer is that as we read from the Bible, as we read from the Bible earlier, and as we recap the events over the past five months, did you notice a strange parallel? Did you notice that our Bible reading in 1 Peter seems to mirror the present world going on around us? As though the current coronavirus pandemic is a physical picture of our deeper spiritual needs. Peter wrote to Christians in exile, dispersed across an area of land about as big as New South Wales. And the first half of the letter is a wondrous retelling of the gospel story and how those who have trusted in Jesus are to respond with holy lives. Now, not because they are trying to earn it, not because they, uh, their good works earn or keep their salvation, but because trusting in Jesus radically reshapes their identity. Anyone who has trusted in Jesus has a new identity in Christ, and holiness is a part of living that out. Our small passage today, two verses that we'll focus on this morning, come in the middle of a section within the letter dealing with what holiness looks like, submission being a key theme throughout that whole section. And our passage's immediate context relates to servants submitting to their earthly masters, even if unjustly. Peter sympathizes with the difficult situations that some servants find themselves in, but he encourages them to persevere and points to Jesus as an example of patient perseverance in, excuse me, in the face of unfair suffering. Jesus is pointed to as the supreme example of patient suffering. And interestingly, as Peter points to Jesus, he uses the image of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, that not only did Jesus suffer quietly and innocently, but that his suffering secured salvation. And the way in which Jesus did that speaks so powerfully to our coronavirus moment. So let me come back again to this coronavirus and show how it relates to our first point in the outline, that Jesus bore our sins. So again, the coronavirus started in Wuhan, China, most likely linked to animals and then jumped on its way to humans and then from human to human. And it's been understood to be highly infectious with people being infectious for up to 14 days without showing symptoms. So you could have it without even knowing it. And in response, there's been heaps of hygiene measures, including washing your hands again and again. After everything you do, you should wash your hands. And I get why. We, we all get why. The thought that the virus could be on your hands and you picked it up from touching something before you, even now, that pushes us. Maybe that compels us. Maybe we're desiring to go cleanse ourselves before it gets inside of us. Because once it's inside of us, at present, there's no known way to get it clean, to get it cleaned out of our system. 
I can think of few other things in our present moment which more perfectly illustrate the nature of and effects of sin. Sin, as invisible as a virus, is passed from human to human. And so many of us are blind to its realities from day to day until we start to feel the effects of it. See, sin at its heart is our desire to be king or queen of our lives and being proud of it. Now, sin shows itself in multiple ways, but I think one of the ways the coronavirus has revealed our sin the most is in prideful self-righteousness. When the virus hit and it got more and more serious, the governments around the world started using a phrase that has never been heard in human history before, social distancing keeping at least one and a half meters away from each other. If we don't stand too close, if we avoid shaking hands and together with good hygiene, we'll be able to beat back the virus. And so we're getting into it. Maybe we're feeling a bit proud about our abilities to socially distance. We are staying at home. We are only ever going out at the, at, when it is completely necessary to just simply pick up our groceries. We're working from home. We've set up our home office. We've even picked the exact time of day when there are the least number of people at the supermarket so we can continue to be further socially distant. And then we get annoyed when we see people ignoring these rules. So the day after New South Wales declared social distancing rules, what happened? Thousands of people turned up at Bondi Beach in Sydney. Similar scenes were spotted in Singapore the day after social distancing was announced. People out, thousands of people out on, on hikes for exercise. Now, when you see these pictures together, how do you feel? How does that make you feel? Do you feel annoyed? Do you roll your eyes and feel morally superior? To these people? Do you get outraged and look down on these people that they just don't get it? Stay home. Well, friends, if you said yes to all of those questions, then that's sinful self-righteousness. Even if it is for a good cause, it is welling up, it is being articulated in a way where we're looking down on other people. And that's not to bring up all the other ways that sin shows itself in our lives. The thing is, sin is offensive to God. If you think your outrage is well-directed at those breaking social distancing rules, well, God is infinitely more outraged and offended at our sin. Because we are not just breaking some rules, we are rejecting Him. We are rejecting His goodness. A God who is infinitely perfect, infinitely holy, infinitely good and right. It is no small thing to sin against a perfectly holy God. And that is why sin deserves wrath. That is why it deserves punishment. The Bible tells us that sin deserves the full wrath and fury of God because it is so infinitely offensive to him. What has Jesus done? He has come to cleanse us. He has washed us clean from the inside out. And how did he do that? 
Peter says right there in chapter 2, verse 24, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He put his body on the line. You see, on that first Good Friday, he was beaten, he was scourged, he was mocked and crucified. And on that Friday, on a human level, that day was anything but good. An innocent man was put on trial, hastily convicted on trumped up charges with no high court to appeal to. And he was sentenced to death of the, to death and the death of the most wicked of criminals. Crucifixion. On a human level, an innocent man was shamefully tried, sentenced, convicted and brutally murdered. But on another level, that Friday was a good Friday. Jesus was no helpless victim being carried along by the winds of injustice. Despite appearances, he was fully in control, staying silent at his fraudulent trial, willingly submitting himself to be beaten and scourged, willingly willing his frail body towards Golgotha and submitting to the agony of the cross. And why? Because he had planned with his father long ago for that very moment. They knew that this would be how he would save the world. He offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice, giving his body in our place to take the wrath we deserve. His death has forever secured forgiveness for his people. And he did not do this so that we could carry on doing whatever we wanted. He did it to secure a new life for us. You can see that in the middle of verse 24 as we move to the second point in point one, point one B. Jesus died to secure a life of dying to sin and living to righteousness. For us, united to Christ by faith, we have died with Christ. He died bearing the penalty of sin and we have died with him. And we have also been united with Jesus in his resurrection. So we have died to the penalty of sin and now we live for righteousness. To live in sin is to continue ignoring God and living our own way. That was life, the life before we trusted Jesus. The life, that life ultimately leads to death. Living to righteousness means seeing and accepting what God has done for us in the gospel and living his way. Trusting him makes us right with God. And so we live in a way that reflects this trust. And this way of life ultimately leads to eternal life. Now more will be said about this on Easter Sunday. But for now, the point here is that Jesus' death not only has secured our forgiveness, it's also secured a new life. A new life where we, are no, where we no longer live in ways that lead to death, but now live in ways that lead to eternal life. And not only has Jesus secured our forgiveness and our new lives, he has also restored our disconnected relationship with God. One of the results of sin is that our relationship with our Creator is disconnected. This is worse than social distancing. It is complete isolation. We are alienated from him, completely disconnected from him. And in the face of that, again, using the Isaiah 53 imagery, Peter tells us that by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. But what sort of healing is Peter talking about? There are some pastors who teach that Peter is referring to physical healing of all your diseases. 
In this past week, there was news from a number of places of churches and pastors that continued to gather together because they were being taught that Jesus would heal them of all this disease, that Christians would remain untouched by the coronavirus, and that anyone infected by it would be ultimately healed if they had enough faith. Let me be clear that this teaching is utterly wrong, and that is a different gospel. The New Testament never guarantees that Christians will be free from pain and suffering. The exact opposite is true. The New Testament says that we, should, we will experience persecution for our faith and we will experience the pain and suffering that comes from that as well. And we will experience the pain and suffering that comes from living in a fallen and broken world. The New Testament is clear that we experience these things to remind us that this world is not our ultimate home and to help us to long for the coming of Jesus. We patiently persevere through the pains of this fallen world with hope, with the hope that Jesus will return and restore his creation. And then and only then will we be totally and completely and confidently free from pain and suffering. And so if it's not physical healing that Peter's talking about here, what is he talking about? The healing spoken of here is spiritual healing. Uh, and we can see that as well when you notice that the, the four that starts verse 25 connecting the ideas together. By his wounds you have been healed, for we were, like stray, for we were straying like lost sheep. The relationship between ourselves and God needed serious healing because we kept wandering away from him. Instead of listening to his voice, instead of believing and trusting his goodness, we turned away from his goodness and wandered away. If you've ever felt the sadness of how broken this world is, if you've been feeling the weight of all that's been happening around our world at this present moment, if you've ever felt the weariness of chasing after your idols, if you've felt the shame and grief over, over past actions and words, then you've experienced what it's like to wander away from God. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells the parable of what God is like, how he is like a shepherd with a hundred sheep, leaving behind 99 in order to go out and search for the one that has wandered away. In our wandering God, in our wandering, God has healed us and He has brought us back to Himself. And Peter says that as well in the second half of verse 25 in point 2b of the outline. The death of Jesus has now reconciled us back to God. Not some distant monarch locked away in his castle. We just get to enjoy the benefits of living in his land. Not a harsh king who is constantly checking over your shoulder to see what, when we mess up. But to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. God is described as a shepherd. The one who looks after sheep. When I think of looking after sheep, I often think of the rugged Aussie image of the farmer who tends a thousand sheep or more. But in the ancient world, a shepherd knew his sheep personally. Jesus gives us an insight in the Gospel of John when he says that the sheep know their shepherd's voice. There's a, a wonderful intimacy there. To describe God as our shepherd means being in personal relationship with him. 
God is also described as our overseer, someone who is tasked to watch over you carefully. He knows you personally and he cares for you closely. See, that is the end goal of the gospel. That is the highest good of the gospel. The news that Jesus' death brings forgiveness of sins is great. New life in the present, great. Eternal life to come, great. Being freed from shame and guilt is excellent, but the the highest good, the chief end of the gospel is to be brought back into relationship with God. It's how the Bible opens men and women in relationship with God. That relationship broken and messed up because of sin. But through the rest of the Bible, God is at work to bring his people back to him. And ultimately in Jesus, that work is finished. The cross secures our forgiveness and it secures new life for us so that we might return to God and enjoy him forever. And that is how the Bible ends. With his people around his throne rejoicing and glorifying him forever. These short verses contain within them remarkable good news for this Good Friday. You see, this Good Friday in our year 2020 is being spent unlike any other in living memory. You have to go back nearly a hundred years to the last time churches were encouraged to close their doors because of a pandemic. And understandably so, in four months, four months, the coronavirus has infected one and a half million people and nearly 90,000 people have died, which is a mortality rate of around 6%. That is deadly serious stuff. With time, we will probably come up with a vaccine for the virus, and thankfully from then on, many more will be saved. But sin has infected all 7.8 billion people presently alive, and many of them live as if they don't have it yet but they all will and all do feel the effects of sin. And sin has a 100% mortality rate. And no amount of human ingenuity will find a cure for it. So Jesus has done what no human scientist or otherwise could ever do. He has completely taken away the sting of death. And he did it in a way that no one would have dared dreamed up. He gave his life in our place as a perfect substitute that anyone who follows and trusts what Jesus has done will be forgiven eternally because he died. We live forevermore. In our coronavirus world, we've had our relationships cut off, limited to seeing each other through our screens. Sin cuts off our relationship with God never able to even access him. But Jesus has come to restore that relationship, not just to experience it through a screen, but to enjoy his presence right now and to look forward to that day when we will see him face to face, when no virus will ever be able to distance us again. Corona means crown in Latin. It's a crown virus. Uh, Named that way because the flat shape of the virus resembles a crown. At present, this crown virus seems to be king, threatening to steal away everything we love. On that Good Friday, Jesus was crowned with thorns. 
And on that Good Friday, he was crowned King of Kings. And because he willingly did that, nothing can steal away what he has done for us. This Good Friday, why don't we spend time being thankful for our health and being thankful for all that Jesus' death has accomplished. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. By your blood, we are forgiven. By your sacrifice, we have been brought near. So help us to be thankful for everything you've done again and again. As we continue to live in this coronavirus-affected pandemic and world, help us to see those parallels between what this virus is doing but what you have done better. Thank you that this virus, which holds out uncertainty, fear, and death, is paralleled by your finished work, which holds out hope and life everlasting. And we pray that you'll help us to see these things even clearly, all the more clearly now, this Easter. We pray for your glory and in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.